Do some of you know anybody who's always losing their stuff? What's the things that they lose? Keys. Anybody know someone who's always losing their keys? What about, what's the, what's the other things? Phone. Phone. I see that hand. What? Glasses. They're the three things research has actually shown. Your, your, your keys, your phone, and your glasses are the three things that people lose most. Um, I, I lost my car keys about probably six, eight weeks ago. I had, was packing up the car with a load of bags for the dump to bring down to the fair grain. And, and I, I went to get into the car to drive off and there was about six or seven bags in the boot. And, and uh, I looked and I couldn't find my key anywhere. And I went into a panic because I thought, I guarantee I've put it, it's dropped into one of those bin bags. That I, and I, I didn't want to hook through them all. Um, thankfully, I had a spare key, and uh, I actually found it. Uh, my wife should have said I found it two or three weeks later, lying somewhere. But uh, then I went online and I bought one of these little things called a tile. And this tile tracks your. So if, if I lose this, I can go onto my phone and I can track where my keys are, which is great. But then I discovered there was another benefit of it. If I lose my phone, I can press the tile. And it will beep my phone until I find my phone. Just uh, And so I'm on 10% commission right now. So if you want to go to Amazon, no, I just... Uh, uh, but if I lose my phone out, my keys, I'm completely sunk uh, at this point. But uh, we all find ourselves losing things. What about parents? Have you ever lost your child? Like, not forever, but just like... Like, have you ever been in a shopping center and had that moment of panic? Or in holidays, or in a beach, or a fairground, or a, you know, a, like Thunderland, or, or something like that. And you look around, and your child was there a minute ago, and they're gone now. And you have that moment of panic, don't you? You start to imagine the worst, and you start to run around, because they were there a minute ago, and, and where are they now? And you start to ask people, have you seen a, a little boy with, with blonde hair? Or have you seen a little girl with dark hair? And, 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 and you get to the stage where you're almost like Liam Neeson in that, you know, where you will hunt somebody. You've got a very specific set of skills and you will hunt anybody down who ever comes near your child. That moment of terror. You know, I've driven home from here once and I got halfway home and realized that Elijah was still here. And so uh, I felt bad, but then I read this passage today, and we read that Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, actually lose them for three days. They actually travel for a day, and so that made me feel just a, a little bit better about losing or leaving behind my son. Let's look at, uh, let's look at verses 41 to 45 in the passage in Luke chapter 2. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Jesus' parents traveled for an entire day. And then they realize he's not with them. Now, I can understand 10 minutes, five minutes losing somebody or forgetting somebody. I, you know, once it gets beyond that, I'm not sure. Imagine losing your child for the entire day. Like, you kind of, you want to call social services for Joseph and Mary. I don't want to daub them in it, but like, this seems like irresponsible parenting. It does make like, me feel better, like I say, but this is an unusual story. Why does Luke tell us this? You see, 
In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the birth of Jesus, don't we? For the baby Jesus and the manger and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men. And, and, and then they go to Egypt. And then we've got the ministry of Jesus and John the Baptist preparing the way and then Jesus coming and ministering for, for three years. But we have nothing in between. We have nothing about Jesus' childhood, about his teenage years, about his 20s. I would love to know some of that stuff. I don't know if you would too. The only thing we have is this one story that Dr. Luke tells us when Jesus was 12 years old. And I don't think he tells us that just to give a warning to parents, keep an eye on your kids. I think that there's a deeper reason. But I would love to know, do you ever wonder what Jesus was like as a teenager? Like, do you ever wonder what Jesus was like as a child? Like, can you imagine him, I don't know, maybe picking up a little dead bird and suddenly the little bird's flying into the air. Or, or you know, he's at the swimming pool with his kids and these guys watch this and he walks on water. You know, or, or his friends are starting to get acne when they're 14, 15 and he goes, guys, watch this. And he just touches them and all their spots disappear. I don't know. I don't think any of that was true. But the truth is that we don't know what he was like as a young person. But he did go through all of that stuff that we went through. As young people, we're told here that Jesus was 12 years old. He was 12 years old. Anybody remember being 12? Some of you, that'll be easier than others. Remember being 12? It's that in between age. If you're from the area here, it would have been the first year you went to junior high school. Remember that first year in Clowner or Kilkemaine or Lurgan Junior High, wherever it was, wherever it was. Remember that weird 12-year-old feeling? That feeling of 12 where you're not 13, you're not a teenager yet, but you're 12. And there's changes starting to where I'm not going to go into this in great detail, but there's those changes starting to happen in your body and things are growing where they hadn't grown before and you have hormones developing and things are changing and you have all that awkwardness and insecurity of what it's like to be 12. Jesus here was 12. In other words, he was at a transition point in his life. In fact, Jewish boys went through, I'm sure you've heard of the bar mitzvah. Yeah, you've heard of that? They went through that at 13. The bar mitzvah was where a Jewish boy was presented and he actually progressed. It was, an, it was a dividing line between being a boy and a man. When a child went, or a young man went through his bar mitzvah at 13, it was saying uh, that his parents were no longer responsible or accountable for him, but that he was responsible and accountable for himself at 13. Can you imagine some of you who have 13-year-olds? Like, obviously, they must have been more mature, mature in those days. Like, can you imagine your 13-year-old being considered a, a, a fully grown man or woman? And yet, this is this moment of transition that Jesus is right on the cusp of. This is this transition between childhood and adulthood. And they lose him. And sometimes it's in the transitions that we get lost or we lose things. Sometimes it's in those transitions of life. It's in those transitions between one job and another, or one relationship or another, or one place, one house and another. Sometimes it's in the transitions of life that we, we get lost or we lose, or we lose something that's important to us. But that's, that's not what we're looking at today. But imagine losing the Son of God. Like imagine having to answer to God for that. Sorry, I lost your Son. I know He was without you for all eternity in heaven, and you sent Him here, but we can't find Him. Like, God, we're sorry. Like, how could they let that happen? In those days, a large group would travel in what was known as a, probably like a caravan type thing. Not like a 
caravan that you put on the back of your car. But a group of people would all travel together. And the, the wee ones and the mums would go at the front. The women would go at the front. And the men and the older boys would go at the back. And Jesus is probably too old for the wee ones and too, and too little for the big ones. And so he kind of gets overlooked. He's in that in-between stage. And Mary assumed he was with Joseph and Joseph assumed he was with his mummy. You know those arguments you have. I thought he was with you. I never said I was looking after him. You did. You told me you would keep an eye on him. I did not. You, you said that you were looking after him. No, I was too busy making you your dinner to look after him. Could you, could you not look down? I, I was cutting the grass. You were cutting the grass. You know those arguments that go? One of them thought the other one was looking after him. And we don't know how it happened. All we know is that after a day of traveling from Jerusalem on the way back to their little tiny hick town called Nazareth, Joseph and Mary have a conversation and they discover that they've lost Jesus. And today I simply want to ask us this. And I want to ask us a very simple question. is, Have you lost Jesus? And I don't mean obviously physically, but have you lost Jesus? Have you lost something of the passion and the joy and the zeal and the enthusiasm that you once had for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you lost something of the tangible presence of God that you used to feel or experience? You're not sure where or when it happened. Maybe like Joseph and Mary, you've been walking for a while. You've been journeying for a while and you're not sure. But you know that you've lost something. You know that there's something that you used to have that you don't have anymore. And somewhere on this journey of life, you've lost something of the real presence of Jesus. And what I want to do is I, look, I want to look at four simple reasons why they lost Jesus. And then I want to look at something else at the end that I felt was really important for some of us to hear. It was almost like the little twist at the end of the story that I'd never really understood before. But four reasons why Joseph and Mary lost Jesus. And the first one is this. They lost him in the midst of religious activity. They lost him in the midst of religious activity. Look at what we read in verses 41, 42. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. When Joseph and Mary lost Jesus, they weren't out clubbing. They weren't doing drugs. They weren't robbing banks. They were going to church. They were going to the temple. They were going to a religious festival. They were doing the Jewish religious ritual and tradition and duty. They were being faithful, godly, faithful, godly family. They were, they, were, they were doing the right thing. They were following their traditions. They were good, pious Jews. They were celebrating the Passover, in fact, we're told, which is bizarre in itself. Because the Jesus that they lost was the Passover that was to come. All of those festivals, all of those traditions in the Old Testament were pointing forward to the boy that they lost. That one day Jesus himself would be the Passover lamb. That on Good Friday, on the day of Passover, he would be the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And yet in the midst of all of the religious tradition and ritual, they managed to lose Jesus. And here's what I've found in 32 years of being a Christian and 16 years in ordained ministry. One of the easiest places to lose Jesus is in the church. One of the easiest places to lose Jesus is when you're doing Christian stuff. That you can be preaching, you can be leading worship, you can be serving, you can be giving, you can be helping with the kids, you can be doing all sorts of things. And because you show up here every week, you convince yourself you're close to Jesus. Because you're in 
the building, because you're doing activity, because you watch us every week online, you, you convince yourself you're close to Jesus. But I want to say to you that there is a difference between activity and intimacy. There's a difference between activity and proximity. You can be doing lots of stuff for Jesus, and yet you can be far from him. But you convince others and you convince yourself that because you're busy doing lots of good religious things, that you're close to Jesus. It's a bit like the, the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Remember the good brother, the one who worked hard in the farm? He was in the farm. He stayed in the father's house, but he totally missed the father's heart. And one of my fears has, and one of my concerns over the years has been to watch people who are around church long enough to know the right things to say and the right time to raise your hands and just the, the Christianese, the lingo, the jargon, all the stuff that can make you appear spiritual, but over time you're just getting further and further from God, but nobody would ever know it because you're in church every week, you're giving, you're serving, and yet your heart is gradually getting more distant from God. You know, it's something that I worry about in my own life. I, you know, there's that old joke, and it's awful, that, you know, I get paid to be good and you're all good for nothing. Like, um, like I get paid to be a Christian, kind of. I'm a professional Christian. Like, I know the stuff to say. I know how to pray. I know this is what I do as a joke. And sometimes I get concerned that that would be all it is. That who I am up here in public would not match who I am in private at home with my wife and my son. And I constantly challenge myself, especially when you've got a child. Because how many of you know someone who grew up and they say they don't follow Jesus because they watched their parents and their parents totally lived a different life on a Sunday than they did the rest of the week. I do not want my boy to say that. When he's 22, I want him to love Jesus because he will be able to say, my dad and my mom were the same at home as they were in public. That there was integrity. That there was character. That it was real. It wasn't just a performance or surface. That there was actually substance behind it. This is not about perfection. It's about progress and pursuit. This is not about perfection, believe me. But it's about what direction is your life pointing? Are you pointing towards Jesus or have you drifted off and started to wander somewhere else? But you're able to cover it up because you're here, because you're watching online every week, because you have lots of Christian friends, because you read lots of Christian books. Religious activity will never substitute proximity or intimacy with Jesus. And if you spend more time a week in church, and the one hour and 15 minutes, if it's another preacher longer than me, one hour and 20 minutes, if you spend more time a week in church than you do throughout the rest of the week with Christ, maybe you just need to examine your heart a little bit now. And go, have I, have, I, have I been substituting church for a real living relationship with Christ? Because in Matthew 7, Jesus says, on that last day, Many will say, did I not do this in your name and this in your name and this? And Jesus will say, I will look at them and I'll just go, I never knew you. Yes, you did all the activity, but there was no proximity. There was no intimacy. All of that stuff flows out of our relationship with God. It's not the relationship in itself. All of the serving, all of the giving, all of the worship, all of that flows out of our heart and our relationship with God. It's never a substitute for it. They lost Jesus because they were doing religious activity. Secondly, 
they lost Jesus because they presumed his presence. Look at what we read in verse 44. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They just assumed he was with them. They just assumed that the presence of Jesus that they'd known for 12 years was still with them. They didn't even notice that he had left them. And I wonder how many of us, if the presence of God, if the Holy Spirit were to depart from us, would we even notice? I wonder how many churches today, if the Holy Spirit were to leave, would they even notice or would they just go about their business? Business as usual. Somebody once said, if the Holy Spirit left the early church, 90% of it would have fallen apart. If the Holy Spirit left the church today, 90% wouldn't even notice. They would just continue with doing what they do every week. They just took them for granted. That happens in relationships over time, doesn't it? That we begin to take people for granted. We do it in all sorts of relationships. Maybe again, if you're married, you know, remember when you first met your husband or wife? You couldn't wait to see them all the time. Like you just wanted to talk to them on the phone all the time. Like every day you were apart, you missed them. You just want to be in. And those little quirky things, those little, you know, those little idiosyncrasies, those little things that they, those little quirks are so cute at that stage. And then 20 years later, they're just there all the time. And those little cute things aren't so cute. They're just really, really annoying. I mean, obviously I don't experience that, but I've heard other husbands say that about their wives. You know, it's that that joke I sometimes use at weddings, that when a man holds his wife's hand before marriage, it's love. When he holds her hand after marriage, it's self-defense. Obviously that's not not the case here, but, um, but over time we can begin to take people for granted. They're just there. And sometimes with Christ, you know, when you became a Christian, you were on fire. You were so passionate. You couldn't wait to be in church. You couldn't wait to share the faith. You couldn't, and there was just a zeal. And then over time, it just becomes, oh, Jesus is still there. He'll never leave me or forsake me, blah, blah, blah. Whoopie-doo. And we just take him for granted. And we've lost something of the freshness and the, the passion that we once had for Jesus Christ. It's a bit like the story I've told, I think, maybe once before or twice, that there was a man driving along the road and he comes across a cow in the middle of the road and he stops the car and the cow just sits there in the middle of the road and the farmer eventually comes along and he gets out of the car and he's talking to the farmer and he says, how, does, how did your cow get lost? He says, here's what happens. And a cow will nibble on a tuft of grass and then it'll see another bit of juicy green grass and it'll keep nibbling and it'll keep nibbling. It'll get to a fence and then it'll see grass on the other side of the fence and it'll find a hole in the fence and it'll nibble. And he said this, cows don't mean to get lost. They just nibble their way to lostness. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to stop following Jesus today. I'm going to lose Jesus. Just day by day, we drift. That imperceptible drift towards other things. And that leads to my next point. They got distracted. They got distracted. Look at verse 44 again, thinking he was in their company. They traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. In other words, there was a bunch of other people with them. And they were so busy talking to other people and so busy having other conversations that they forgot that Jesus was meant to be there. If they'd been talking to Jesus on the journey, they wouldn't have lost him. But they were so busy with other people and other things that they lost Jesus. And I think the greatest enemy for many of us today is not necessarily blatant sin. I think it's just distraction. I think it's just distraction. 
It's that we're just constantly being pulled in other directions. That's literally what distraction means. Being pulled in different directions. You know, life just gets busy, doesn't it? Remember 2020 when the first lockdown happened, as awful as it was? Remember we all went, oh, isn't it? it's, like, it's awful, but isn't it lovely not to be as busy as we used to be? We'll never go back like that again. And here we are two years later as we enter this post-pandemic world that I declare in Jesus' name. Um, that we're just going back to the way it was. When can we get back to normal? When can we get back to... When can we, when can we do... And life just gets busy. And we get preoccupied. And there's demands and there's people and there's things. And, and you know what the worst thing is of all sometimes? It's this wonderful thing here. It's just such... This is a professional distractor. Like, I love my phone, I love my iPhone, I love technology, but technology sometimes is one of the greatest hindrances to me pursuing Jesus because I get distracted easily by this. Have you noticed how easy it is to, like, scroll through Instagram and Facebook for an hour mindlessly, but you try to pray for three minutes and your mind goes somewhere else completely? Like, when I was back in the olden days, when I was a teenager, you had a camera And you had a phone in the hall that was attached to the wall that your whole family listened to. Your conversations with that boy or girl that you liked. And you had a diary, like a physical paper diary. And you had a physical paper Bible. Some of the young people, you need to know that Bibles actually come in in hard copy as well as on your phone. Um, And you, you had a diary, you had a Bible. You had a bank book. You had a checkbook. You had all the, you had a phone book. You had a catalogue like Burlington or Littlewoods or something like that. You like order clothes and they would arrive like a week later. And all of that is now in your pocket. It's all there and a hundred other things in this little thing, this little device, this little distraction device. I've got to the stage where when I'm praying at home in my room, I need to put this sometimes in a different room. Because I know that if I'm praying after two or three minutes, a notification will pop up and I'll go, no, I'm not going to look at it. What if it's important? And then five minutes later, you're down this whole rabbit hole of Googling things that you don't even care about. Sometimes we don't lose Jesus deliberately. We just lose him because we're distracted by other things. We're just too busy. We have too many other things demanding our time. And finally, they lost Jesus because they didn't take responsibility. They lost Jesus because they didn't take responsibility. Tells us that they found him after three days. I wonder where he slept for three days. Do you ever think about that? Probably not. I wonder what he ate for three days. But look at what we read in verse 48. His mother said to him, Son, Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Look at what happens when they find Jesus. They blame him for getting lost. He was 12 years old. Whose responsibility was it? It was theirs. They were responsible for fixing their attention and keeping their eyes on Jesus, and yet they're blaming him for them losing him. They're not taking personal responsibility for losing him. 
Isn't that what we do sometimes? We blame everyone and everything else for where we are with God. If I had a pound for every time I've had a conversation like this, I used to go to church, I used to be a Christian, but somebody hurt me. Somebody offended me. And now I don't follow God anymore. You've had those conversations. I had one last week with a couple who were sitting behind me here. They were talking about a friend of theirs who doesn't go to, and somebody hurt, said somebody hurt him in the church. And I looked at them, and I don't know what came over me, but I said, who hasn't been hurt in the church? Like, if you've been around church more than a few days, somebody will have offended you. Somebody will have hurt you. Most likely me at this point, but somebody will have. Like, we, you know, it's not an excuse, but the reality is that Christians are humans, and humans do human things. Humans are selfish. Humans are self-centered. And it's no different in a church than it is anywhere else. But as soon as somebody does anything to hurt us in a church, very often we're like, I'm never going back to church again, never. I'm done with God. All Christians are hypocrites. Maybe they are, but so are you. You're just a hypocrite in a different place at a different time than they are. We don't do that. I mean, if you play cricket, if somebody says something bad to you in the cricket pitch, you don't go, well, I'm never playing cricket again. Somebody offended me in cricket. If you go out to a restaurant and you have a bad meal, you don't go, well, I'm never eating out again. It's the last time I'm ever allowing a chef to cook for me. You go on holidays and get your forehead sunburned, well, I'm never going into the sun again. Never traveling abroad again. The checkout girl in Tesco's Rudy, well, I'll never ever go to a supermarket again. We don't do that in any other part of life. But one person in church is rude to us or looks at us sideways once and we write off the entire Christian faith. Like, what's that about? Sometimes it's not about blaming other people. Sometimes we blame God himself. We've all heard that. And maybe some of us have been there. God didn't come through for me. He didn't answer my prayer. That's why I'm not following him anymore. I had a conversation just in the last week and a half with somebody where they said that. They said, God hasn't answered. I've been praying really for what? And God hasn't answered my prayers. He doesn't hear me. And I said, can I gently ask you, has he never answered your prayers or is there one specific prayer that he hasn't answered? And she came back to me and said, actually, he's been so good to me. He has blessed me with a wonderful job and I got a huge pay raise and I just got a new home. And she went through all these blessings and she went, but I'm 40 and I'm praying for a husband. He hasn't given me a husband yet, so I'm angry with God. Now, I'm not making light of singleness. It's easy for somebody who's married to... But what I'm saying is that if you have that one deal breaker with God, that if he doesn't do that, then you haven't got God, you've got a genie in a bottle. If you put one of those things where, God, if you don't come through in this, I'm not following you, that is not worship. That is not following the Lord God of heaven and earth. That is, you said, I will follow you as long as you meet my preferences because I am not your servant. You're actually my servant. And that's what this relationship is. As long as you do everything I want, we're good, Jesus. You know, in the Gospels, there were lots of times people walked away from Jesus and Jesus just let them go because they weren't worthy. Of, they thought he wasn't worthy of them. They weren't actually worthy of him. 
So we're taking responsibility. It's about saying, maybe this didn't work out the way I hoped it would, or dreamed, or planned, or prayed. Maybe God didn't seem to come through, but you know what? That doesn't change one bit of the reality of who he is. It doesn't change one bit of the reality that Christ died for me. As Jamie said last week, if you want to know the goodness of God, you look at the empty cross and the empty tomb. If Jesus never did another thing for any of us ever again, he has done more than enough already. Because he died for us, he's forgiven our sins, he's risen again, and we've got eternal life. If he never did another thing, but he does so much more. But we need to take responsibility for our spiritual lives. We need to take ownership. I cannot live your spiritual life for you. You're as close to God as you have chosen to be right now. Yeah, you can blame somebody else, but ultimately, you're as close to God today as you choose to be. So they lost Jesus for four reasons. They were busy with religious activity. They presumed his presence. They were distracted by other people and things, and they didn't take responsibility. And I wonder if any of those apply to you right now. If you're being really honest, I wonder, would you say, if you were to look back a year from now, or a year ago or five years ago, I wonder, would you say, I'm definitely closer to God than I was a year ago or five years ago? Or would you say, actually, I was closer to God then? I've got distracted. I've got distracted by a relationship. I've got too busy in my job. I've got distracted by the... Maybe you feel empty inside, but you're just covering up with religious stuff. Maybe, maybe you're just presuming God. You've got just too flippant and casual about God. Or maybe you feel like God didn't come through for you in something and you're like, well, if he didn't come through for me, I wonder are you as close to Jesus if not closer than you were a year ago or five years ago. And if you're not, if you honestly ask yourself that question and you're, you can honestly say, you know what, I have lost something. I have lost something of that zeal, that fire, that passion that I used to have. What can you do? Well, we sit here in the passage and it's so simple. First of all, you acknowledge that you've lost. And that's the first thing Joseph and Mary did. They came to that moment of realization on the journey that they were journeying without Jesus. And I think there's just those times when we need to get before God. You can't do it with anyone else. You've just got to get on your knees and your face before God and go, God, I have lost something here and I want it back. I have lost something and I want it back. I miss that closeness. I miss that intimacy. I miss that tangible sense of your presence in my life. And I've allowed other things to come in and seduce my heart. But Jesus, I actually just want you back. That's the first thing. I said, you just acknowledge I've lost something. It's that realization, that moment of vulnerability and honesty. I'm not where I should be. And the second thing is this, they went searching for Jesus. They went searching for him. And some of us just need to start seeking Jesus again. Not just here on a Sunday, but in our quiet time, in our private lives, in the secret place at home. We need to search for him. Look at what it says, verses 44 to 46. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look after him. And after three days, they found him. They didn't look around for a minute and go, well, he's gone. We've got other kids. He'll be fine. He's 12. They kept searching for days. Can you imagine them frantically searching every alleyway, every street in Jerusalem? Have you seen this little boy? Have you seen a kid called Jesus? Have you seen him? 
They didn't stop searching until they found him. And they went back to where they lost him. It's that really annoying thing, isn't it, that people say to you when you say you've lost something? Where did you last have it? If I knew that, I wouldn't be looking for it. Isn't that right? Where did you last have your keys? Where did you last see them? But they go back to where they lost them. And some of us actually maybe do need to do that. Some of us honestly do need to go back and go, where did I lose my way a bit? Was it when I started going out with that fella or girl? Was it when I started that job? Was it when I started that new hobby? Was it when I let this thing into my life? This habit, this thing that started to control me a bit? When did I lose that thing that I, I miss now? And maybe we do need to go back there and go, actually, I, I need to put things right. In Revelation 2, it says, I have this against you. You do all these wonderful things, but you've lost your first love. And then he says, go back and do what you did at first. Some of us need to go back and actually recover something we've lost somewhere along the way. Maybe it was during 2020, 2020 or 2021 when you weren't meeting as much in person. Maybe you, you, you lost something along the way. But keep searching and keep seeking because it says this in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's just one thing I want to say as I finish up and I felt like this was for some of you today and this is a little bit of a a twist on the story, I guess, that I had never noticed before. And it's this. Sometimes you haven't lost Jesus. It's just a relationship with him has changed. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you have maybe lost something and that's a different thing. But some of you feel like you've lost Jesus, but it's just your relationship with him has changed. And you haven't lost him. It's just different. Look at verses 48 to 50 as we finish. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus is like, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And I think this is why Dr. Luke included this story. It's not a story about keeping an eye on your kids. I think what Luke is saying is this, that they thought they had lost Jesus, but actually Jesus wants to tell them that their relationship with him from this point onwards has just changed. Mary says, your father and I have been looking for you. And Jesus says, actually, didn't you know I'd only be in my father's house? Jesus, at this point at 12, just as he's, he's, he's transitioning, he's, he's, he's becoming a man. He, he has this self-realization that he's not an ordinary kid. He's growing into an understanding of who he really is. That he might look like all the other boys in his class, but he's very different. Yes, he's fully man, he's fully boy, he's fully human, but he's also fully God. You know, we all think that there's nobody like our child. There was literally nobody like this child. 
And he says to them, why were you looking for me? Was it not obvious where I was going to be? I know, Joseph, that you have been my father. And I call you father, but I was going to be in my father's house. And what Jesus is really saying there is, you didn't lose me. Our relationship has just changed. That yes, I love you and I will be loyal to you and I honor you as my parents, but I've now got a higher loyalty. I've got a greater love and that is my father in heaven who I'm realizing that there is something special that I have with him. And I really believe some of us need to hear that today. That you think you've lost Jesus, but actually your relationship with him has just changed. That you look at your life and you go, I, you know, I'm not as passionate as I was when I was younger. I don't have that fire. I don't. And you know what? A lot of that is true, and maybe that's okay. Maybe you've deepened and grown and developed and matured in your faith. If you've been a Christian for a while now, your faith will look different than it did. Hopefully the foundation is the same. Hopefully there is a zeal for the things of God and, and for, for the Lord. But I want to tell you that it should. I mean, if you have a child who's three and they become 30 and your relationship with them is still the same as it was when they were three, there's something wrong. Even if you've been married for 20 years, your marriage will look different than it did when you were together for 20 weeks. Yes, the foundation of the relationship should be the same, but it has changed. Why? Because you've been through some stuff together, haven't you? You've been through some highs and lows together. You've fought some battles together. You've fought some battles against each other. You've been through some stuff and that changes you. And I've come to this realization in my own life recently that sometimes I miss that 16-year-old Craig Cooney who would have battered down doors to share the gospel. Sometimes I miss that Craig Cooney who was just so full of zeal and passion in some ways. But actually, it's not that I don't have zeal and passion anymore. It just looks different. I still have so much zeal for the word of God. I have still so much passion for the gospel. I have so much uh, just... Uh, just love for God and for Christ. It just looks different now. I was talking to a friend this week and he, was talk- he got married recently and he was talking about why he struggled to settle down for many years. He got married in his sort of late 30s. And he said, Craig, the problem was this. I, would, I loved the chase. I loved meeting a girl. I loved the first few dates. I loved the first kiss. And then after a while I'd get bored and I'd want that high all over again. And there's some Christians like that. We're always trying to get the next high, the next conference, the next, the next experience, the next profit. That I... And you know what? Sometimes it's just a long obedience in the same direction. And I've been following Christ for 32 years and we've been through some stuff together. I've been through disappointment and discouragement. I've been through highs and lows. I've been joy, through joys and sorrows. I've been through betrayal. I've been through burnout. I've been through poverty and prosperity at different times in my life. And that changes you. I still love Jesus. I still love God. He's everything, but it just looks different. And I want to tell you that's okay. Some of you need to hear that. You know, I have stood at the front of the church with a little baby's coffin there, one-year-old's coffin, I have watched as a friend of mine the same age as me who was my right-hand man in church 
be ravaged with cancer and leave three little girls. I've had my heart broken by people. I've had friends who have turned on me. I've had a lot of stuff. And I've seen the faithfulness of God through it all. Through all of it. But it changes you. And it should. And it should. And so I just want to encourage some of you in that today. And some of you watching online. Maybe you think you've lost something. But maybe it's just changed. And as long as your heart is pursuing Jesus, it may look different than it looked a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. As long as your heart is pursuing Jesus, as long as the direction of your life is after him, that's okay. But maybe you have lost something. And I just want to finish by saying this. You can lose everything and still have Jesus and you're okay. But you can gain everything and lose Jesus and you've got nothing. So maybe some of you do need to go, God, I just want to get back with you. I want to get back to a place of just knowing your presence again.